With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Talking Sass. And as always, thank you guys so much for joining me. I appreciate it greatly. And you know what? I have another stellar guest lined up for you guys today. And he works for one of the biggest sports companies in the world. And he gives great advice in today's episode. But before we get there, let's talk about Patreon.com slash Starting on only $2, you guys are going to get great exclusive content. And trust me, with this guest, especially if you're into broadcasting, this is an episode on my Patreon you're not going to want to miss, the extra five questions that I talk to him about. It's amazing. But if you're not into Patreon, that's totally cool because you can check me out on Instagram and Twitter. I love interacting with everybody. And also, I started a TikTok. That's right. I didn't think I'd ever be one of those people that started TikTok, but here I am. So go find me. It is Talking Sass on TikTok. I'm having a lot of fun actually posting a lot of different things and seeing the likes and the views that I'm getting is just crazy. I love it. Anyway, <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit that bell notification so you never miss a second of Talking Sass. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform or watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. It is so important. I could tell you all about the algorithms and everything like that, but I'm not going to waste your time. It's free, it's easy, and it really benefits the show. So make sure you subscribe however you are listening. My podcast listeners, don't forget to rate and review Talking Sass with five stars. Now on to today's guest. I mean, some of you may remember him as Kyle Edwards on WWE, but he is so much bigger than what he was at WWE now. I mean, this man has worked across the board when it comes to sports and different television programs starting all the way in Toronto and making his way into New York and Connecticut. It's crazy. He's this, if you are a broadcaster wanting to break out, this is a great, great interview for you to listen to. He gives tons of great advice. So I really hope that you guys enjoy this. Anyway, my guest is Arda Okal. And I mean, he's done everything in wrestling. He's commentary. He's done commentary for table tennis, for hockey, for basketball, football. I mean, you name it. He's been a part of it, and he is just awesome to talk to. I had such a great interview with him, and I really think you guys are going to enjoy it. Plus, he's also my first Mensa member to ever be on Talking Sass. How cool is that? Well, I don't want to tell you guys anymore, so I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Here's Arda Ocal. Hey, guys. I am sitting here with the one and only Arda Ocal. How are you doing, Arda? I'm great. How are you? It's nice to meet you. We we met briefly once you were telling me uh, mm-hmm. before, like in passing, but it's nice to finally sit and talk with you. Definitely. We're going to have some fun today because like I told you earlier, I have a whole bunch of research on you. Yes. I saw, <laughs> you showed me the one page. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. And that's some people like research stuff about you and it's like, oh, crazy. Yeah. And that's completely <laughs> toned down. So can you imagine like what, if I had like unlimited time, what we would actually get to discuss and stuff, it would be crazy. Crazy. 
But before we do get started, one thing that I did find interesting, and I think you're the only person so far to be on my podcast that is a member of Mensa. Yes. I actually have a pencil. Hold on. How does that happen? I don't know if you can see this, but this is an American Mensa pencil. I don't know if it's going to zoom properly. Yeah, you can kind of see it a little bit there, yeah. There you go. Um, So, first of all, it's like the most pompous thing ever, right? Oh, I'm (laughs) I'm a member of Mensa people, okay? Excuse me, I'm very over. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So, okay, there's a trick to this. I actually uh, broke Mensa kayfabe here uh, a few years (laughs) ago, and I wrote an article about it. Uh So. If you ever, so Mensa accepts any aptitude test that you've ever taken in your entire life. So even if you took one at, let's say, like five years old and you scored in like the top percentiles, that would qualify you to get into Mensa. Interesting. So it's not as difficult as you think it is. Now, I took a test when I was like 35 and honestly, it's, it's just like a, how do I explain it? It's honestly like a test you would give your kids. It's like, it's like. Like 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 riddles and like stump questions, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's really what it is, and like and like simple math. It's not like you're doing calculus or something on the test. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, like, I just yeah, like I just thought it would be some. I'll tell you why I did it. Honestly, since this is a um, a wrestling themed podcast, I thought it would help me get over perception wise at WWE. That's why I did it. I did it while I was at WWE, and I was just like. What can I do to stand out and to get some, like, uh, value around myself? And I was like, I wonder how hard it is to get into Mensa. And so I looked it up, and I didn't have any old aptitude tests. So they're just like, well, you can take one now. And I did. And then I got accepted. You you have to cross a threshold. Like, it's not like a – you know what I mean? So, like – it's not for people watching. It's not as difficult as you think it is. And honestly, if you go back to your tests, I bet you a lot of you watching right now will be like, "Oh yeah, when I was like four or five years old or whatever, I met the threshold, so I can join Mensa too." Like it's not. It, it's one of those things that like people put emphasis on it a lot more than probably it is. Uh, with right. that said, with that said, please treat me as if I'm the top one percent of the entire world. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I've actually met other people who have told me they're Mensa members, and I'm like, I honestly don't believe you. But, like, you can't say that, right? That's that's just rude. But, like, you just look at their daily interactions, (laughs) and you're just like, how would anybody expect you to be in the top percentile of people who are extremely intelligent in the country? I don't understand. But now, see, I, I know a little bit more makes a little bit more sense because I think maybe they could do something like that. I'm not going to throw any names out there, but yeah. there, there are a few. I'm, sure I'm glad that we were able to, like, we basically started the Mensa dirt sheet is what we just did there. <laughs> I've, I've become the Dave Meltzer of uh, Mensa now, where I'm, like, revealing all the secrets and I'm, you know, my sources tell me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so awesome. You're going to have so many people becoming Mensa members in, the, like, the next, like, yeah. I don't know, like, two weeks or so. <laughs> Why do we have such an influx of applications all of a sudden? Eh. Why are all these wrestling fans all of a sudden yeah. want to be Mensa members? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I'm actually going to even try to do to it. About that. Do Crazy. It. All right, so let's flip it back because, obviously, you're a big sports guy. Mm-hmm. Huge sports guy, working mm-hmm. for ESPN, Sports Center, and stuff like that now. But let's take it back all the way when you were a kid. Were you playing a lot of sports? Because I know I read somewhere you're a big computer nerd. You like yeah. video games, wrestling, and hockey. But were you playing actually any of the sports? Yeah, hockey. I played hockey growing up and soccer growing up. I probably went until college for hockey, but I always knew I wasn't going to be an athlete. And I was always like enamored by the people behind the microphone. And honestly, like my very first dream was – to be a sports anchor. Like I, I saw the people like the Ron McLeans of the world or the Jim Van Horns and Gino Reddas on TSN doing sports center. And I thought that was the coolest job ever. I just didn't know that it would be a job that I could get. And as I was getting older, like I always loved sports and I always loved pro wrestling growing up. And as I got older, I just, I don't know why, but I had it in my head. Maybe it's a confidence thing, but I just had it in my head that I wouldn't be able to become a sports anchor. I thought it was like too pristine or too, 
uh, unattainable. Everyone was going for those jobs. And and this is not discounting wrestling in any way, shape, or form, but, like, I always felt like in order to be a wrestling, and this is wrong now, by the way, but, like, at the time, this is what I thought. I always thought that in order to be a wrestling broadcaster, you had to know everything about wrestling. And I consumed so much wrestling in my childhood that I felt like I knew everything about wrestling especially the era in which I watched it, right? Like I grew up in the 80s and then into the 90s and the Attitude Era. So like that's my sweet spot, right? Right. Everything from uh, Hogan becoming champion to the end of the Attitude Era was like really me watching it uh, and, and consuming everything I could, right? So that, that, that for some reason I had it in my head that like I would be, it would be attainable for me personally to become a wrestling broadcaster. And, and I did grow up like, I loved watching wrestling, but for me, it was the interviews and the promos that like really kept me coming back. And in yeah. particular, I found like Mean Gene fascinating and, and Howard Finkel, how he would announce names and, and Gorilla Monsoon, how he would commentate. And then later Jim Ross, it just opened like my, my whole world to a different style of commentary, right? So those were the jobs that I like really, and the people that I like idolized growing up because it's like, I want to be like them. Yeah, and, I mean, the names that you mentioned are absolutely legendary. I mean, everybody knows who you're talking about. Even, like, kids nowadays, like, maybe not our kids' age because they're a little young, but, like, let's say 10, 15 years old, my niece and nephew's ages, they know those names, Mm -hmm. you know, because they are so legendary and just absolutely stand out in the sea of people who have been broadcasting within wrestling, you know? Exactly, and and, and hopefully they do forevermore. I mean... They should, right? Like they, those, those are Mount Rushmore type people. Oh, of course. Definitely would put most of those on my Mount Rushmore of broadcasting in WWE. So as you got older, you got into wrestling. And in 2008, you, you started, you basically did everything in wrestling except for bumping and refereeing, right? Uh-huh. Pretty much. <laughs> I, I refereed one match and this was the one time. Uh, so you had Jimmy Corderas on the show, who's one of my best friends. And like, he couldn't stop laughing. Like, we were at Squared Circle training. I remember this. I forget who was in the match. I think Sebastian Suave was in the match and someone else. Maybe Brent B. Maybe Brent B. It might have been a Suave versus Brent B match. And they, like, I was like, all right, guys, I'm repping this. And they're like, yeah, okay, sure you are. And I'm like, yep, no, I'm in. Let's go. And so, like, I'm, like, doing my best, like, referee, like, you know, moving around. And Jimmy's, like, yelling at me, heckling me. He's like, where? You're in the wrong position. Like, get down for the count. Stop being lazy. And, like, they did this spot where <laughs> it's so funny. Brent, it's like lock up, uh, headlock takeover, pin, got to get down, one, two, kick out, up again. And then they wait for me to get up to my feet and then back to a pin again, one, two, <laughs> back up. I got to get back to my feet. They did that like 10 times. And I, by the fifth time, I'm like, I'm not going to count this. <laughs> and Jimmy's like, what kind of ref are you? You better get down for the count. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, at, at one point, I was going to do the old, was it the Bronco Lubitsch, like just hit, counting with your foot? Yeah. And then Jimmy's like, you can't do that. And it, was, it was just such a funny – anyway, that was my ref story. My one and only match, I retired after that. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, – when did I start in the indies? I want to say 2005 or 2006. Okay. It was just literally setting up chairs. Like how, how you would suggest anybody get into the independent scene is mm-hmm. just volunteering. So I set up chairs, put up flyers. Uh, and 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 then just went to the shows and soaked it all in, and then eventually they gave me a mic and said, "Do you want to do backstage interviews for the DVDs?" And that's what I did. And started with uh, BSE at the time, Blood, Sweat, and Ears, still the greatest name in indie wrestling history, obviously. Uh, and what is it? You hear that? And you're like, is that it? what kind of company is that? Yeah, it could be more MK, like a it could yeah. Be it well, could be a music company. It could be a touring company. We don't know. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, but they were putting on great shows though. And they were getting a lot of like TNA talent at the time. And, you know, we brought in like Kurt Angle, uh, we brought in, uh, uh, Christian when he was like in between companies, like it was, we did a lot of cool stuff with that company. So it was, it was a cool indie to have in Toronto, but yeah, that, that was the journey. Set up chairs, uh, pay your dues, et cetera, you know, like go put posters up, do, do the grunt work that a lot of people wouldn't want to do, help set up the ring, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually you just get little spots. Yeah, Exactly. I mean, you were an organizer, a promoter, a ring announcer, a commentator, an interviewer, a host, and you even, this is what I love, with some of the charity work that you, that you did, in 2008 to 2014, you were an organizer and promoter for 
I'm going to screw the name of this city up, but just bear with me for the time. Um, Akalawit. The Akalawit, yeah. And you brought up, that's in the Canadian Arctic, for those who don't know. Like, it's way, way north Canada. And you brought in people like Rhino, Christian, Tracy Brooks, Christy Hemi, Lance Storm, Colt Cabana, and more. I mean, these places are not used to getting names like this caliber. Because I know there's people across Canada that do these, these village tours up north in different areas. But they're normal independent workers. But you're bringing actual names to this the city is i mean how yeah. did they receive that it was amazing so sebastian suave has taken over essentially and still does that yeah. with smash wrestling by the way shout out cheap plug i used to commentate <laughs> for smash too uh but anyway uh so those that show started in 2008 2008 was a cool year that was probably like my best promoting year we did a cross canada tour where we went from toronto to uh the edge of saskatchewan like the edge of alberta i guess and then back so we did like a whole loop it was like 20,000 Somewhere around 20,000 kilometers, maybe maybe a little bit less, but definitely over 10,000. It was somewhere between maybe 12 and 20. Anyway, there was like 16 stops. It was amazing. It was a great it was a great experience. And uh, and somehow, believe it or not, as an indie wrestling promoter, I didn't lose money. Wow. That's amazing. amazing. I didn't make a lot of money. Like a lot of them were charity shows, so like that's yeah. fair enough. But like I didn't lose money. I didn't lose my shirt, as they say, uh, which was amazing. I know, right? So Ikalowit. Uh, how that happened, honestly, there was a guy uh, named, uh, his his name was Kyle. He worked in Iqaluit at, at the time. He was a big wrestling fan, and he reached out to us and said, how can we organize a show? And I said, well, here are the expenses, et cetera. The biggest expense was really the air, air airfare, right? right? Like, So to give context to where Iqaluit is, it is in uh, uh, Nunavut, which is a, a, ter- a third territory in Canada, and it's a three-hour flight north from Ottawa. So look where Ottawa is, and that's a three-hour flight north. Like, that's how far it is uh, in, the nor- in the Canadian Arctic. Like, it is one of those places where you see the northern lights, and it is – you get 24-hour daylight in parts of the year and 24-hour uh, no sun for parts of the year as well. And we've seen both in our travels. And so – the important thing was, okay, so we, we worked with the airline. There's only two airlines that fly up there. We worked with the airline to get a, a, a better rate. And the reason was um, was because we made it into a entire city-focused event. It wasn't just we're coming to do a wrestling show for profit. We didn't make any profit. It was mm-hmm. what, what it was was a we made sure to do as much uh, promotional charity work as we could. So when we – that was half the thing. Like I, I didn't touch the wrestling part of it at all. I just said, here, guys, like whoever the wrestling people were, uh, go book the card, go get the names, whatever. I'm going to focus on the charitable part of it. So I booked appearances at every school for motivational talks. We even went into the um, the uh, the jail and did a talk there, the juvenile hall. Uh, we did a community event. Uh, we went to... Any, any, anything that had any sort of good vibes and, and goodwill, we touched it. Like, we were there. We did events. We helped out. We volunteered. We did a lot. And, and actually, I'm proud of that more than the actual shows. The shows themselves were amazing. Uh, they had a um, Winter Games Arena, an Arctic Winter Games Arena. And the maximum capacity was only like 800 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it sold out both nights. And the second night, I'll never forget, like, we booked it so that, like, day one was – a tag match leading into we actually created an Arctic championship, which was kind of funny. Oh, that's so much fun. We just, yeah, we, we gave the belt to, sorry, Tyson earned the belt. Tyson Dukes earned the belt. Uh, we gave it to him. And uh, so he comes in, Arctic champ, he's a heel, whatever. Match uh, one was a tag. He wins, challenges, or sorry, um, Babyface wins. Brent B challenges him to a match night two. So it was a great match too, like, Brent is – I love Brent. Like, if there's one guy I wish really had a chance in WWE, it's Brent B. I really do. Like, he's so good. Anyway, I'm veering off path. That's okay. So, so Brent and Tyson have this great match. It was like, I don't know, a 20, 25-minute match, and Brent wins. Crowd's, like, super invested. And I'll never forget the, the image of him, grabs the belt, goes into the crowd, and, like, the, the 800 people, like, just ran around and, like, created, like, a, like a semicircle around him. It was like Brent in the middle and just like fans like all around him and like looking at him like he's like their conquering hero and like he's holding the belt. Like I wish I could find that picture. It was like such an amazing moment. 
and like the fans were so invested in it. And I'm like looking at this and like, you know how it is. Like you've been wrestling for a long time. You were in the bubble for a long time and you still are right. Like sometimes you get jaded, right? Like sometimes it just like takes the wind out of you and you're just like, ah, like, you know, the, where's the passion that I used to have when I was watching it. Right. Like that moment brought it back for me. I was like, wow, like this is why I, I, lo- I loved this so much. This is why I want to do this so much, you know? So like, th- right. yeah, that's, tr- I, I will, like that trip was, those trips were amazing. Like they, I had so much fun. And those organic moments like that, that you're saying with Brent, those are like, you're like, let's say you're going for a while and you're just like down in the dumps. You're like, why am I still doing this? My body's killing me. And then you have those moments and you're like, this is why I do it. Just right. because it's, it's amazing. I've had a few of those myself, and it's just like, okay, this is why I continue to do what I do. I mean, I love it, obviously, but you do. You get jaded, you get injured, and you're like, why do I put my body through this? It's not easy. You're right, especially as a worker. Like, it's not easy. You're taking bumps, taking a toll on your body, and, like, people just don't understand. It's not like you have health care waiting for you either if you get exactly. injured, right? Like, there's so many factors that people just don't understand, and like, I admire, like, that's the one thing I miss about, like, I don't, I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched wrestling probably in five years now since I left WWE, but the one thing I do miss and the one thing that, I, that keeps me in, at least, like, with a toe in the in the wrestling space is I love hearing about people's, like, journeys, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially when they make it, you know, like, like I'll, I'll use the Bollywood Boys as a great example. I know they just got released, but, like, I, I've been friends with them for I don't know, over 10 years. So like, I remember us sitting when I worked in Vancouver with the weather network, I remember us sitting many a dinner, just sitting down, just talking wrestling. Like, here's what I've been doing this week. Here's who I've been reaching out to. Here's this person, you know, like strategizing the path to get to WWE. And like, I, I love that stuff to me like that because I want people who are like, they, you'd be hard pressed to find two people more passionate about pro wrestling than them. Right. Like it's very there. There's an elite level of person that exists that loves pro wrestling so much that that is their plan A, B and C. And those two fall in that category. Right. So like when they made it, it was like such a joy for someone like me who saw this journey firsthand for several years spanning over a decade. Right. So when they finally were able to announce that I know how much it meant to them. It's like you get goosebumps and you tear up because you're just like this is amazing. Like this is, this is one of the best moments that they're ever going to have. Like just to make that announce. like that's, I had that moment, you mm-hmm. know, when I announced it and like, it, it was, if, if, if it just feels good when you see people like that. And that's, that's one thing that I still keep up with, like talking with people who are on their journeys and et cetera, you know, helping out however you can. Well, definitely. I mean, one of the reasons why I started this podcast is I want to help put some of my friends over, you know, get people out there that people might not, know yet or you know will probably know in the future like people I want them to succeed and like I've had people ask me like why do you still watch wrestling like you didn't get to WWE like you had extra spots and all this but I mean you didn't get there I'm like yeah but so and so is my friend and they're there and I was there for that that's amazing Mm -hmm. like the last time I did extra work for WWE half the women there were my friends because I, I shared the locker room with them at Shimmer and, like, to go back there and see them, and they're having the absolute time of their life, you know, living out their dream. It's amazing. And I'm, like, I'm so proud. Like, yeah. you know, those are my friends. They're doing what they love, what they're passionate about. Yeah, so I didn't get there. But I also have a family now. I also have these things that life took me another direction, and I'm okay with that, you know? It doesn't matter that I didn't make it there. I still live vicariously through my friends. So. I, exactly the same. And and I get this a lot. Like, look, I did make it there, and I didn't make it there, right? Like, my biggest success in pro wrestling was getting signed. Yeah. But beyond that, I did barely – like, my biggest – if you were to ask me, like, what was the coolest thing you did at WWE, it was creating a segment called This Week in History. It was, it, it was a pretty good on YouTube. Great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, me and me and Gravy, like basically, and, and honestly, the reason we did it was because we had so much. Like at the time, he was doing the Raw pre-show, and we would sit there in the conference room all Monday, like eight hours, and like we would just sit there watch TV all day, and then we'd do the Raw pre-show at night. It was such a ridiculous shift. It was just we just <laughs> sit there and just 
talk for all day, all day long. I'm not kidding. And so one day I was just like, why don't we just like do something? And he's like, yeah, what do you have in mind? And I'm like, I don't know. We both know our stuff. Like, why don't we just do like a this week in history kind of thing? And he's like, go pitch it, dude. I'd do it. And I'm like, fine. So then I did. And then it got greenlit. And then we started doing it. Like, it was just like, just a random because we're in the building. We might as well do it. And he was like, yeah, I love this. This is great. But like that does, that pales in comparison to like broadcasters that are on Raw and SmackDown or whatever. Right. But like people ask me, like, are you bitter? A hundred percent. No, I'm not bitter at all. I'm happy. It happened. I'm happy. It's over. I'm not, I don't regret anything. I really don't. I'm very happy that I got there because now I can help others who are trying to get there. And I will say this, like in, in, in ideas of like helping others, maybe watching this who want to get there, especially if they're a broadcaster, there has never been a better time to work at WWE as a broadcaster or get in the door, I should say. There has never been, the barrier to entry is lower than ever. And I'm not saying that because they're desperate. Absolutely not. Right. I'm saying I come from an era where it was very limited how many broadcasters they would use. And those jobs were very few and far between. Now you can work with them on a part-time basis. That was unheard of for a broadcaster even five, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Now they have so many digital products that you can collaborate with them, and that is welcomed. Like it's never been easier to pitch ideas to WWE and try and collaborate with them, especially when you compare it to – 5, 10, 15 years ago and what it was like to even try to become a broadcaster at WWE. So, no, I'm not bitter at all. Uh, I am now at a point where I will happily give any advice uh, to anybody that, excuse me, is looking to get there because I know how to get there. My problem was just staying there. <laughs> really. Well, I mean, you were still there for a considerable amount of time. I mean, from 2014 to 2016, that's two years. I mean, I recently had on – Alyssa Marino, and she was only there for about six months or so because uh, COVID happened and NXT shows stopped happening. So, yeah, you know, see, that's it, unfortunate, though. Like, if yeah. that had not happened, I'm sure that Alyssa would still be there. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, I think I so. that's just an unfortunate circumstance, like an mm-hmm. unforeseen, too. Like, who would have predicted a pandemic? Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> awful. But, I mean, for two years, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, the show with Corey Graves, but you also did WWE's Bottom Line, WWE Experience in Europe. You did interviews for WWE.com, Raw Pre-Show, like you mentioned. And you also did five things on WWE's YouTube channel. I mean, you were doing a plethora of broadcasting while you were there in those two years. So funny thing about five things, they they used to have a, uh, like, it was like a five, like a hand uh, thing. And uh, apparently someone, I don't know who, uh, didn't like the hand anymore. So they're like, we can't have the hand logo anymore. It's done. We're gone. So that's why the logo changed. If you're ever curious why the Five Things logo changed suddenly, it's because <laughs> someone didn't like the lines on a hand or something. Thought the hand was too amateur, and so the hand got got future endeavored. But I can I can well was it May Young's hand that she gave birth to, or was it just <laughs> probably <laughs> probably yes? Was it a different hand? <laughs> we'll go with May Young's hand because it's a funnier story. <laughs> Definitely. But, I mean, before you even got to WWE, I mean, you've been working in TV and broadcasting for so long. I mean, you originally, how a lot of people, especially here, got to know you in, like, Quebec, you were on Sportsnet, and you were doing um, Aftermath TV, which was actually with Jimmy Corderas, and at one time, soon, well, soon to be at that time, Renee Young, but uh, Renee Paquette at the time. So, I mean, you been around with names within wrestling business and broadcasting and everything to me it seems like at that point in time it was only a matter of time before wwe picked you up and started using you for all of the talents that you possess so funny story about that i'll I'll give you my journey and fill in the gaps based on what you just said there because i think this might be useful for people watching who want to get into wwe uh, as a broadcaster too so I always thought that the way to get to WWE was I need to know as much as I can about wrestling. Like, I thought that that was my ticket. Like, my knowledge was high. I knew a lot. I was a really good historian. I knew my, I knew my facts, et cetera. I had an audition in 2009. Now, by then, I was probably a little too green to have the audition, but I just kept knocking on the door, sending my tapes or my, my emails, DVDs, whatever. And finally, they just had an open casting call, and they brought me in. And I didn't do well. It was, I wasn't ready for it. Like, it was a terrible audition. 
So they didn't call me back for four years. And in that time, though, in 2009, that's when I pitched right after wrestling, which became Aftermath. And that became uh, something in Canada, which it had like a 10-year run, which is like unheard yeah. of. You know what I mean? And like any television show having 10 years is unbelievable. So like I'm very, very proud of that. So, but um, until I left, uh, I, I left the score at in 2013 after the whole Rogers merger happened, you're laying off people uh, left and right. I still thought that that was the way to do it to just get as much wrestling knowledge. And that's why I was continuously doing the indies and I was still doing uh, aftermath, etc. So one day uh, I had another audition while I was at the score and I didn't get the job. I did really good. I felt good about the audition because by then I had a lot of reps under me and I was very comfortable in front of the camera. And I had a, I, I mean, I'm not being conceited when I say this, but Aftermath was a hit show. Like the ratings were good and they were very happy with it. And uh, it was on the air. And they, in, in fact, by that point, they had increased it from one show to two shows a week because it was so successful. Right. And that's a testament to the cast. Like Renee's a superstar and Jimmy was uh, lended a lot of credibility because he had been with WWE for what tw- over 20 years, yeah, uh, et cetera. Right. And the, and the production staff was fantastic. Like it was a really, really well-oiled machine by, by that point. So anyway, after I didn't get that job, um, I got a call from Michael Cole. And Michael Cole at that point had just assumed the role of all broadcast operations, okay? Mm-hmm. And so he called me, and he literally, like, this was like a, you know, like a, a, a straight-on, like, no BS, this is a truth meeting kind of thing. Okay. And he honestly said, look, if you want to work here, you need to stop doing wrestling. That was oh. literally his advice. He was like, go get experience elsewhere. Stop tweeting about wrestling. Stop creating wrestling content. We know your wrestling knowledge. Go get experience elsewhere. So at that point, I ended up getting a job with the Weather Network, and I worked with them for about a year, which was a great job. I worked in Ottawa first, and then I moved to Vancouver, uh, and that was a full-time job. If I didn't get the job at WWE, I might still be in Vancouver today, honestly. It was such a great city. Well, you did the morning show there, right? Exactly. And that, and honestly, that was one of the reasons, because I wanted to see out this WWE goal that I had set for myself. <laughs> and then while I was in Vancouver, I had another audition, and I nailed it. I, I knew everything to say. I was, like, super confident. Not cocky, but very confident, because by <laughs> this point, it was, like, number four. So I was like, I know what I'm doing. I go into people's offices now to say hello, like, as if I'm, like, you know, one of the one of the people that worked there already. Like, I was just, like, uh, firing on all cylinders. And then finally, uh, I got offered a job. And one of the things that Cole said was, you know, people noticed, like, people all the way up to, like, Hunter noticed that I stopped doing wrestling and took that advice. And so, yeah, so, like, I guess one piece of advice that I would give out is when you hear something like that, especially from someone at WWE, do it. Because it worked for me. Like, I could have just as easily said, ah, I don't know. I'll still do my wrestling stuff and, you know, I'll get picked up eventually. But I took the advice and I made the adjustments and it worked. It was noticed and I eventually got there. So, like, it's, it's important to, you know, to, to listen, I guess, is a, is a good way to put it. But also to take it to heart because he could have just been, you know, he could have just easily given me bad advice, but he didn't. He gave me the right thing to do, and I did it, and then all of a sudden I got a job, so. Well, one of your former coworkers down at Dragon Gate USA, Lenny, he told me that um, when he did the uh, WWE Network special for um, Dragon Gate down there, not Dragon Gate. Um, Evolve? Yes, Evolve, thank oh, you. Yeah. It was totally escaping my brain because I wasn't going in that direction at all yeah. today. Um, when he did the WWE Evolve thing there, he's like, I was pitch, I was on going on all cylinders. I, during the show, I'm having WWE executives texting me, telling me I'm doing great. He's like, and then I heard nothing else. He's like, but Michael Cole let me come down to like NXT and he would sit and talk to me and give me advice. So like, I know a lot of people vilify Michael Cole for whatever reason. I don't get it, but whatever reason. But, like, it seems like everybody that I've talked to, he is trying to steer people in the right direction because he wants people to succeed just as much as anybody else. So, okay, I wanted to say two things about this. So, first of all, Michael Cole, I think that he gets compared to people who we have this, like, legendary opinion of. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't compare Michael Cole to Jim Ross. Jim Ross is the best 
wrestling announcer of all time with apologies to Golden Gordon Soli. But Michael Cole is the best sports entertainment announcer of all time. And, and I think that those two roles are very different. How are they different? I'm not saying Jim Ross can't do this. He did. He did it for 20 years. Mm. I'm saying Michael Cole is, 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 is a different breed of announcer. It's like the next iteration of announcer. Jim Ross is, is grandfathered in from a, from, a, from a previous era, right, where, where things were a little bit different and the rules were a little different. Michael Cole is beholden to a much more strict set of rules, as are the broadcasters today. And people don't understand how difficult those set of rules can be to a broadcaster, whether it's hearing people in your ear, whether it's remembering, remembering certain verbiage, whether it's trying to fit things in that normally feel like a square peg in a round hole naturally. And Michael Cole does that very, very well and, and, and possibly the best that we'll ever see in our, in our lifetime. Because well, That's another thing that Lenny said is exactly. he's not there to be a sports entertainer broadcaster. He's there to direct traffic to WWE exactly. Network. He's there to direct traffic to the pay-per-view, to the next show, to this. He's like, Go, his job is yeah. not to broadcast the matches. Let me, let me, let me put this out there. Mm-hmm. Go watch. If you want to see Michael Cole at his like most loose or just like most fun, go mm-hmm. watch the, um, I think it was the Brock Lesnar in Japan event. It was a WWE Network event, and I think it was from like 2015. I remember because I gave him notes for this, and he used all of them. It was like the craziest thing. He's like, do you have any, anything you can give me on this? And mm-hmm. I gave him like 10 pages of notes, and he used like everything. It was really oh, funny. Amazing. Yeah, so like, but like, I could tell like he was just being himself. He didn't have much to throw to. He was just like chill Michael Cole calling wrestling. And mm-hmm. you watch that and you're like, wow, he is really good at calling mm-hmm. wrestling. Like th- th- you- you'll see what I mean if you watch that. But anyway. I wrote it uh, down. I'm going to check it yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's a great show too. It's, 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 I, think, I think Brock faced Kofi at that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in Japan. But anyway, you'll see. Michael Cole is like there's a different vibe to him there, especially in certain matches. Uh, I owe Lenny a thank you. I've, I've thanked him personally before, but I'll say it publicly too. So he was the reason I actually got my first shot with Dragon Gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he couldn't do a show, and he suggested me to Gabe. And so Gabe then hired me to do a bunch of loops that Lenny couldn't do. So I basically became for a while the Evolve Dragon Gate fill-in guy. And some of my commentary might actually be on the network, which is hilarious. Uh, this like the indie commentary, yeah. So uh, that's all thanks to Lenny, uh, who is awesome, and he's the best. And whenever he's in town, we always make sure to uh, to get together. But, yeah, he's um, an, he's yeah, another big man. sports guy that I love just, like, shooting the breeze with. Obviously, yeah. when the Canadians and Tampa were playing, I was trying to keep my distance because oh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't do too hot. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, was, we're, yeah. We always have fun. yeah. Making the finals was uh, quite the feat. Did you did you go to the Montreal Canadiens We Came in Second Place parade? I didn't, but I did go to <laughs> when um, Montreal was in Tampa playing. I went to the Bell Center two out of the three games to watch oh, wow. at the Bell Center. So we're watching, and you know they only let thirty five hundred fans in, of course. So it's like it's very, it was such a very unique, very different situation than I've ever been in in the Bell Center before because they're still very strict about a lot of the COVID protocol. So, like, our section, we were center ice and in the reds. And so, like, we had to walk in behind a, like, in the kitchen of a restaurant, go through there, get new masks, sanitize our hands, and go through, and then sanitize our hands again. And then we're like, oh, okay, we want to go to this concession stand down here because we want whatever, smoked meat or something. They had one of the different um, concession stands. It wasn't just your typical hot dog and, you know, nachos. But we couldn't. We were in a bubble. So they would put, uh-huh. like, three or four sections together in a bubble, and you couldn't go anywhere else but in that bubble. Like, it was so bizarre, but a lot uh-huh. of fun still at the same time because, I mean, obviously, Stanley Cup playoff finals, you're like, Exactly. exactly. What an <laughs> yeah. experience, yeah. It was. I mean, tickets here. I know Lenny, it was funny because he actually tweeted something along the lines like, oh, I want to go to the one of the games, but it was like $350 a ticket. 
And I was like, are you kidding me? In Montreal, because they've That's only it? let 3,500 fans in, yeah. it's over $11,000 for a ticket. One. I was oh like, $350? I would jump on that in a hot second. Like, not even think about it twice. Oh, 100%. I know. Man, what a, di- what a difference. <laughs> yeah. But Florida and Quebec, two totally different ideas on the COVID situation and how it was handled. So, yeah. you know, neither here nor there. So let's talk more about wrestling because, like I said, I, I've, like, gone off the rails here, totally away from all of my, my uh, research that I did. But, I mean, we talked about 2010 and 2012, you're doing Dragon Gate. And what I loved um, reading in 2013, this had to be such a great honor you actually co-hosted the Northeast Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame with Howard Finkel. How was that working with the Fink? Oh, it was great. Uh, that was around the time that I I tried to do every Hall of Fame ceremony, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, Fink has always been fantastic to me. He was one of the guys that I looked forward to talking to while I was at WWE. We'd always, I'd always just go into his office, and I never said hello to him. I always came in with like some <clears throat> some random trivia that <laughs> he would always get right. I'd be like. Uh, I, instead of like saying, "Hey, Fink, how's it going?" I'd walk in. It. <coughs> Sorry. No worries. I'm okay. I'm surviving. Something's stuck in my throat. I'd walk in and I'd be like, "Hey, Fink, who was the who was the Intercontinental Champion in November 1992?" And then he'd be like, "Shawn Michaels, good to see you." Like it's just really funny. <laughs> like just like he, he, without missing a step. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, so it was a thrill. Like I mean, I idolized him growing up. I, I you know, I mean. The, the funny thing is, like, anyone that grew up in that era that became a ring announcer, at first you were imitating Howard Finkel, right? Of course. So, uh, but yeah, the New, uh, New England Hall of Fame, the uh, Cauliflower Alley, the um, uh, Luthes, George Tregas, uh, Dan Gable, uh, one in Waterloo, Iowa. Uh, then there was the uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame at the time. It was in, I think, Schenectady, New York. Mm-hmm. So there were there were a few like wrestling gatherings that had ceremonies that I just felt I, I figured at that time you know what I'm just gonna go to these and just meet a bunch of people and there'd always be like maybe one or two WWE people but like mostly it was just hearing the stories of like people during the territory days and you know like I was a mid carter in the territory days or I was a job guy person in the in the territory days like tell me your stories you know like yeah sometimes you get the best excuse me sometimes you get the best stories from people who just live the life of a journey person wrestler, right? So yeah, for me, I, 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 I cherish to, those. Yeah, I went to CAC a couple of times, and the first year, I think it was, I did a seminar, and it was like how to get heat with Ted DiBiase and Harley Race. And I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. Like, these are two absolute freaking legends. Yeah. Telling me, as a, I was maybe two or three years in the business at this time, telling me, who is 90% of the time a heel, how to get heat. And I'm just, and me, I'm old school fan anyway. Like, if you watch my wrestling, it's very sensational, Sherry inspired. And, you know, to me, I was like, this is just amazing. Hearing them tell stories, hearing them how they put together a match and everything. Like, I still have the notebook and everything. I mean, this is probably. 10, 12 years ago now, and I'm just like, I still have that notebook and can go back to it and be like, they told these stories and told <laughs> us to do A, B, C, D, E in a match, it. and I love it. Were you there the year at Cauliflower Alley where they had a, I think it was a 65-person battle royal? I don't think so. So that I, I, <laughs> I still laugh at this because I saw the sheet, and I'm like, there's 65 names on this, and like someone, I think one of the bookers was like, "Yeah, we just wanted everyone to have uh, their their chance to have an entrance or something." I'm like, I respect that. Yeah. But like, how are you gonna keep a 65 person? Sorry, not man. 65 person battle royal interesting. Like that's a lot of people in the ring. First of all, how are you gonna have that many people in the ring? It's not gonna collapse. It's gonna hold like what, like forty people or something. Like that's a lot of weight, right? Max, I would say forty would be the max. Yeah. Absolute max, right? So like that's funny in itself. But yeah, sixty-five person battle royal, never before and never again. 
Yeah, I think WWE only went up to 40 the one time, right? That's so like, lame. The greatest battle royal or something. Please. You clearly <laughs> yeah, haven't been to the Gold Coast in Las Vegas <laughs> to see the 65-person battle royal. And it's so fun, too, because CAC, <laughs> they have those bowling tournaments. So you see all of, like, these old-school wrestlers coming in, and they're just having the time of their life. I mean, some are playing cards in a corner. Others yes. are bowling in this tournament. Can it, I tell you a funny story? So I, yeah, I was, um, so I, I like to play, like, the $5 blackjack tables mm-hmm. just for fun. Like, I'm not a gambler. Like, it's just to pass the time. So I, was, I think I was with Adam Pierce. I'm dropping names here. I apologize. So anyway, we sit down. I'll that up for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, So we sit down. uh, We see Harley Race playing uh, at a table. So we're like, you know what? We should just sit down with him. So we sit down at the table, and he looks at me, and he's like, well, if you're going to sit there, kid, you better put some money on the table. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm being coaxed into playing here. I'm not going to say no to Harley Race. He's going to beat me up. So I'm like, all right, here we go, whatever. And it was it wasn't a five dollar table. It was like a twenty dollar table. It was like this was like table that was well beyond my comfort zone. So I'm like, I'm not going to be playing a lot here. So maybe like forty dollars. Okay, I'm I'm yeah. going to accept this for this once in a lifetime opportunity to play blackjack with Harley Race. So 100%. I get I get my cards uh, and I get twelve. Okay, and the dealer's showing uh, I don't know something something that they would have to hit. So it come, Harley gets like, I don't know, he's, he got like 20 or something, he stays. So it comes to me, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, I have 12. What do I do here? Like, I don't want to hit and bust. Dealer yeah. has to hit. I'm thinking about it, maybe a little too long. And Harley looks at me, and he goes, kid, you better hit that. <laughs> and I'm like, but, but look at the whole, and he's like, no, 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 you better hit that. And I'm like, all right, well, do what Harley Ray says. Get the card. It's a nine. I'm like, let's go, Harley. Yeah, buddy. Let's go, 21. Woo. And he, and he looks at me. He's like, I called you, kid. Just listen to me. <laughs> like, Good luck charm in Las Vegas, Right? Man. Right? And I'm like, all right. I'll pack it up. Thank you very much. Let's go. See you later. It was just yeah. like Harley Race telling me what to do in blackjack. It's like <laughs> a cherished memory. For sure. And I'm sure you have tons of those. Cause I mean, like I said, you've been around the business forever. And then, I mean, not only that, like we, we kind of mentioned earlier in 2016, you went to ESPN. So now you're living out your dreams with sports stars of all kinds of sports and levels. I mean, just looking at what you had wrote on your uh, personal website, MMA, wrestling, hockey, soccer, and even table tennis, you've yeah. done commentary for Oh my lord! That that those were the Rogers TV days where like mm-hmm. I just tried to get experience in everything and anything I could. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. ESPN 2016. The first thing I did was esports. Actually, uh, we did a uh, event at Madison Square Garden. That this is crazy. So hmm. MSG, like you know, obviously the Rangers, the Knicks, uh, you know, great biggest sporting events, Muhammad Ali, whatever. Obviously WWE, pro wrestling. Uh, etc. And now I'm there. The first time I get on ESPN, the first time I'm on SportsCenter, is a report on a League of Legends World Tournament. So there's teams playing a video game, sold out two nights, <laughs> crazy scenes. It, it reminded me of pro wrestling a little bit. Like it was like, um, the fans were amazing. They brought signs. They dressed up, cosplay. It was a vibe. It was awesome. And that's where I got like. That's why I got hooked on esports. Like I was like, man, this is. First of all, these are my people. Like I'm a nerd, so I'm like, these are my yeah. people. This is great. Uh, and then second of all, I was like, this is a growing industry. Like I want to be. I want to keep my eye on this. So for the next several years, including with ESPN, I did esports, uh, and then uh, I, I, I transitioned from there. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, that was a, a really fun time. And then I basically joined ESPN full time in 2019. And just going back to what I was saying earlier about. Like I, I, growing up, I didn't even think it was possible for someone like me to even think or or strive to be a sports broadcaster, to do anything in hockey or to to host Sports Center. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally did, like recently, it was only a few months ago, maybe a couple months ago, that I did my very first Sports Center, and it was just surreal. Like I was just like it was like such a goosebump. Like I can't believe I'm actually doing this moment coming from that where I had, right? Like I felt yeah. confident in doing it based on the experience that I had. And, you know, I've had a blast doing them and I, and, you know, more to come, but 
like that moment for me, it was like almost vindication for that kid that didn't think that it would ever be possible, you know? So it was just yeah. kind of like a cool for, full circle kind of moment. Yeah, you definitely kind of manifest your own destiny just going about it in, you know, different ways with the way that you started within sports in the Rogers days and then going into, well, wrestling yeah. was around then too, but then going into Sportsnet and then coming to WWE and all the things you did behind the scenes too with wrestling and then ESPN. It's like, the this is like pretty much any sports broadcaster or sports fan kind of dream just to even get to be a part of ESPN in any way. Yeah, and it, it has been a dream come true. And like everything I do there is very fulfilling. I love the job. I love the people. And, you know, hopefully uh, it, it's more to come and just only growing from here. Like it's just such a it's just great. Like I feel very blessed, honestly. Like we were even talking about our families before we started recording. Like just mm -hmm. like where I am in life now is just unbelievable. Like, you know, having a wife and a kid and living in New York State and, you know, being able to work at a place like ESPN and on an institution like Sports Center is like one of America's most well-known programs, mm -hmm. and I get to host it here and there. Like it's that's so surreal to me as a Muslim Canadian kid that grew up super shy and overweight, and you know, love like what felt like a misfit, felt like a an outcast for much of his life. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. I don't know, just. I'm I'm very 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 grateful. Like I'm just very grateful and very blessed. And sometimes it, it 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 feels surreal. But now I'm like, you know what? Like I'm, this is great. Like I I relish it. I cherish it. And I and now I built. That's amazing. Where do you think in say let's say five years? I mean, you you reach ESPN, which is pretty much the height of the mountain for a lot of people. But where do you see yourself going? More sports center shifts. We're contributing to hockey, NHL, and ESPN is coming up in the fall. Uh, and then I'll probably uh, join a wrestling school, learn to take some bumps uh, in my 40s, you know, do the Dave Batista route of becoming a WWE superstar, uh, probably headline a few WrestleManias, and then from there parlay it into movies. Uh, you know, I'll do the Mummy Part 4, Haku Mashente, that'll be me uh, <laughs> in it. the remake. And then, uh, you know, do a couple of Fast and Furious movies and then all of a sudden be the highest paid actor in the world. Uh, it'll probably take me 15 years, but I mean, who wouldn't want to see a 55-year-old wrinkled and out-of-shape action star? Uh, you know what? If The Rock can do it, you most certainly can do it. John Cena <laughs> can do it, you can do it too. I mean, we can't even see him, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh... So, Arda, to wrap it up before we get going... I want to talk about, obviously, we mentioned the Canadians, and I mentioned it to you before we went on air, because, like, these, like, I don't know why I stopped following you there for a bit, and then I found back, and then it was, like, the playoffs happened, and I was like, oh, you know, he's a Leafs fan, I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan, obviously, the first round, and some of the stuff that you were doing online was just making me pop so huge, because, like, <laughs> I, I told you, obviously, the video that you did where... You're wearing, like, a, a, um, a Toronto Ma uh, Maple Leafs jacket, and you're like, I can't believe they lost to the Canadians. This is a <laughs> historic rivalry. I, I, can't, I can't be a fan anymore, and you're about to take the jacket off and throw it in the garbage, and then you're like, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't. I can't. And you, you take the jacket back, and then as you're walking away, you say, even the Cleveland Browns have won more games than the Montreal, not the Montreal Canadiens, but the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I popped so huge for this because me as a Canadiens fan and a Cleveland Browns fan, yeah. I mean, just absolutely popped me to, to the moon on this one. <laughs> it's so funny because there's not very Montreal Canadian fans and Cleveland Browns fans yeah. out there, except for me and maybe Paul Byron. <laughs> so there's two people. That's basically it. So that, that joke was for both of you. Uh, yeah, that shows Sports Nation, and uh, it, they give uh, Sports Nation's great. I love the production team on that show. Uh, they give me a lot of leeway to do a lot of random stuff. Like I do a segment called Ocal News where I basically report on, like, video games or wrestling or NFT drops, you know, stuff like that. And then uh, I did. I pitched this after the Leafs lost. I thought I said I thought it'd be funny to like see me like unravel as a fan uh, for a couple minutes, and they were they were into it. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. And and then walking away, uh, even the Browns have won more in the playoffs than the Leafs have. 
it's like but yeah. As, as a Cleveland Browns fan, I totally relate to everything you say because yeah. every season <laughs> I'm like, I'm just gonna burn my Cleveland Brown stuff, and then this year it's like, holy man, we're doing really good. Oh go. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we got to face the Chiefs, and then it all went sideways. But nevertheless, I was like, this is the season. Like in my <clears throat> years of life. I've never seen a successful Browns team like I saw this year. And I'm like, I've waited my whole entire adult life to see this. And we get this. And, like, I'm really hoping this year we really push through and can make it even further to the Super Bowl this year. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. We're knocking. Do you have any Super Bowl uh, predictions for this year yet? I mean, I know preseason hasn't started quite yet, but do you have a I mean, or anything? I mean, all eyes obviously are going to be on the Bucks and, and what Tom Brady does. We just saw the news that Tom Brady uh, played the, excuse me, the entire 2020 season with a, was a torn MCL, which is, like, unbelievable to say yeah. the least. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to bet against him uh, at the start Obviously. of a season especially, but uh, – I mean, listen, I would love to see much maligned franchises get their time in the sun, right? Like, like the whole Bills run was great because, like, yeah. after the four Super Bowls in the 90s, they had, like, decades of futility, right? So, like, to see teams like that and obviously the Browns as well and even the Jets too, right? Like, why not see, see – what I'd love to see is I'd love to see new eras start mm-hmm. in these franchises or continue – so that they can achieve the success that their fan base, especially for fans, like I relate to it as a Leafs fan. I never went away from the team, but like, yeah. you know, they, they haven't had success. Like they've had regular season success. They haven't had playoff success. So like I'd love seeing other teams like that. That's why it was like for the Euros as well, like seeing England make it to the final yeah. and won a World Cup since 1966 or a major tournament. They hadn't even made the final. It was like a very similar drought to the Leafs. So it's like, to see them make it to the final was really cool for their fans too, because you know, there's a lot of fans that have been there a long time. So Super Bowl prediction, it'd be cool to see two teams that uh, have had uh, a recent history of sadness uh, get their chance in the sun. But then again, also you can't bet against the chiefs because yeah. I hate to say it. I know, but Patrick Mahomes, like you see those throws he was making in the Super Bowl. Like, come on. He was literally like parallel to the ground and he's throwing like a 50 yarder or whatever it was like that. Unbelievable. Non-human. I don't understand. And that's what that's what's rough for the Browns this year is that's our first game of the regular season. And I was like, whoo, that's going to be a tough first game. Very tough. <laughs> you know, when we get to the Steelers and Baltimore, obviously those are two big rivalries for us. But to have the Chiefs as the first game, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a hard season for the Browns. But honestly – with the draft picks that we had this year, a lot of the players remained healthy through the offseason, and OBJ rehabbed his ACL completely. So I am, like, I I am, like, beyond the moon happy with my Browns team before we even get to preseason, and I can't tell you the last time that has, if ever, happened. If you're saying that as a Browns fan who's been there a long time, if you're optimistic, then I feel like the fan base should remain optimistic also. Oh, I think we're very optimistic. I Like, I'm I'm still, like, I keep in touch with a lot of people from Cleveland and stuff, and I'm just like, wow, guys, we got – last year, actually, I did, when the Browns beat the Steelers, I had a bunch of my Cleveland friends come on that are also involved in the pro wrestling business, and we did a Browns roundtable playoffs edition. Oh, yeah. And it was just – it's like – it's like – for us, who I think it was what 2016, we went 0 and 16 in the season. Like to be five years later, optimistic towards the Super Bowl before the season even starts. In five years, to turn that whole thing around. Amazing. Heaven. Amazing, right? Exactly. Well, Arda, I could talk to you literally all day about sports because obviously we both have a big passion for wrestling Absolutely. and sports. But let's go ahead and wrap this up. Why don't you give everyone your social media in case they don't follow you and where they can catch you? Yeah, sure. On Twitter, it's at Arda, A-R-D-A. And then Instagram is Arda Ocal TV, O-C-A-L TV. All right. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Obviously, with everything you have going on, you're always busy. And uh, we'll see you guys next time here on Talking Sass.
Hey, this is a Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with history, the voice of choice, and killer can wrestling. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stiles of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.